Welcome to the podcast of Rogue Valley Christian Church. We hope to be a place that connects you to Jesus, encourages you to grow in your faith, and challenges you to serve the world. If you brought a Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, where we just read just a few minutes ago. You can also thumb, if you will, find your way to Romans chapter 12. We're going to go there at some point at the same time. Here's the thing. It is almost February. Did you guys realize this? January is almost over. And what that means is we're on week number three. Is it weird that January is almost over? It's almost February. You know what February in Southern Oregon means? False spring. Everybody, the sun comes out and tricks us into thinking summer's around the corner. It's not, but we're going to enjoy it, yes? Okay, so here's the thing. All month long in January, we've been doing a series on how we're supposed to do church. And we've been doing that not just on uh, like our own opinions on ideas on what's important and what we think that we should do, but we've been doing it as a result of getting some guiding principles from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Each year around this time, we take some time to remind us about what it is that we do and why we do it, and then this year, how we should do it. Remember, as we've been making our way through this, we've been reminded that when we do church, and not just do church when we come here and are in the building, but when we're also being the church out there in the world, like outside of the building, we're supposed to do so devotedly. That is, we are wholeheartedly into all that God is doing in, through, and among us, yeah? We should also do church expectantly. Like expectantly, one of the things about the early church in the book of Acts is God showed up on a regular basis and did miraculous things. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get historically cynical, yeah? In other words, I, what I mean is, like, I, well, that was maybe yesterday, and that was going on thousands of years ago, and today it's just a little different. But man, we should come to church and do church and be the church expectantly, meaning we are anticipating the miraculous and powerful work of God in and through our lives, manifesting itself through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Did I mention self-control? Did I mention patience? Did I mention a miraculous power of God to bring that out of and through our lives? We should do this with a great sense of expectation. And then last week, if you were here, we looked at the reality that we should come to church and be the church selflessly, realizing it's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about God and us. Well, this week, closely related, we zoom in on Acts chapter 2, verse 45. You can find it in your Bibles. It says this, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many had need. It's my suggestion that we should also do church sacrificially. Look at what the early church was doing. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I don't know about you, but Acts 2 verse 45 is kind of a breathtaking verse. It's one of those verses that grabs your attention. It's one of those verses that you read and you recognize that ain't normal. That doesn't happen all the time. People aren't just doing that on a regular basis. 
And yet there's a longing in our hearts. I don't know about you, but there's a longing in our hearts that, that, that desires to be connected to a community that operates and has a character and an ability to care for one another just like that. A community that sees people in need, longs to do something about it, and then does whatever it takes sacrificially to bring it about. Do you see that? This is what they were doing. Now, a lot of people historically have read this verse and said, we should all go back to the book of Acts chapter 2 and we should do church like that. As I've made mention all along throughout the month of January, the time that they lived in is very different than the time that we live in. You could say this, they did church sacrificially. They sold their possessions and their belongings and then used the proceeds to help those in need because they had to. If you continue reading the book of Acts, and by the way, I highly recommend it because here's our game plan for the next few months, right? Next week, we're going to wrap up this series on how we do church, right? After that, we're going to go back into, dive right back into our series on the story of Jesus. And we planned, it's all mapped out, it's all planned out, the verses are ready, the passages are lined up. We're planned, we're planning to be done with the story of Jesus it seems like an appropriate time to be done with the story of Jesus right around Easter when we celebrate the resurrection, right? And then right out of Easter, so we're all ready, right out of Easter, we're going to go right back into the book of Acts and we're going to start looking at probably a multi-year long view of the story. Did you guys catch that? <laughs> we don't do anything fast, ladies and gentlemen. We don't. We make our way through the Bible slowly and methodically, and we just make our way through the Bible. So we're going to go to the book of Acts right after Easter, and we're going to start looking at the story of the church, which, by the way, is also known as the continuing story of Jesus. Does that make sense? If you go to the book of Acts, and again, read ahead, you'll just be preparing for the spring right around April 16th. We're going to jump into the book of Acts. Just start reading, and what you'll see in the book of Acts is that at one point in the life of the early church, you guys like church history? Because here you go. At one point in the early church, persecution came upon them. In other words, the people who had decided to follow Jesus and believe in him were physically in danger... Because the society, the culture, religiously and politically around them saw them as enemies to the state or enemies to Judaism. And so persecution came upon them. The Apostle Paul himself, who before he had his interaction with Jesus, hang on, book of Acts, we'll get to it, June. Right before that, right? He was Saul from Tarsus, and he was, as, he was religiously zealous, and he was persecuting the church. And we need to understand what that means. The church that we read about in Acts chapter 2 was existing at a time when being the church was dangerous business. Because there were people like Paul the Apostle or Saul from Tarsus who was going from town to town to town to arrest believers imprison them at the least, and get rid of them if he could. Get rid of them. Do you guys know what that's called? It's called murder, just so everybody knows. Like, when we talk about persecution, we're talking about serious threats to their life because of their belief. And the reason I bring this up is I think it's way different now. 
I've been doing my best to walk with Jesus for some 30-some years now. And I do not remember a time, not one, where I was ever told, stop talking about Jesus or we're going to kill you. Like, not once. In fact, not once. In fact, the only time I've ever been told that I was going to be killed was little fisticuffs in junior high. And we all know that doesn't count. Right? I'm going to kill you. I'm like, take your best shot. And then he did. <laughs> and it hurt. And I decided that day, on that day, in 1984, I was never, ever, ever, ever going to be a fighter. Hurts too much. <laughs> We've all experienced that. But never, even, even in the midst of all of those years, I've never even in the last 30 years had somebody tell me to stop talking about Jesus. See, it's a very different time. We have to understand that at the time that we read about in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, there were political and social sanctions, economic and social sanctions, that were being imposed upon the early church and they're selling of their possessions and their materialistic goods and then sharing the proceeds with anybody who had in need, they had to do it to survive. In one sense, there was no choice. Now, it doesn't lessen the miraculous reality of what they were doing because they were being the church. They were being those who were inhabited by the Spirit of God who had remembered with fresh memories how the Son of God had given his life sacrificially for them. So the example of Jesus was still fresh in their mind, and then they had the Spirit of God indwelling them, moving them, transforming the way they thought to where they realized in this dark, dark time, in this scary time, in this anxious time, overwhelming time, the best thing that we can do is take care of each other. And they looked around and said, well, we don't have enough resources to do it. And then they said, well, what do we have? And then they said, well, I got four cars. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to go after America. Is that okay just a little bit? Because maybe your deal is not cars. You're sitting here going, I only have two. I'm good. Pastor's not talking about me. Well, how many bathrooms do you have in your house? How many can you use at one time? We had some people at our house last night. Just so everybody knows, we have two and one-half bathrooms. We're very American. Two and one half bathrooms, one of which doesn't get used hardly at all and is still always somewhat dirty. <laughs> right? Two and a half bathrooms. That's people over our house. One of our bathrooms, we'll call it the half bathroom. I don't know why you say it like that, but the half bathroom is located in our living room. I mean, it's not in the living room, but it's like right off the living room. And you're thinking, oh, it's probably strategically located so that if you have a little emergency, you can get there. No, it's not strategically located. It's annoying. If you ever come to our house, you watch like a movie. You will see that our TV is in one spot. And to the left of the TV is a door into the half bathroom. You know what that means? That means this. None of you are all going to come and watch a movie because you're thinking to yourself, well, that means if I have to get up and go to the bathroom, everybody's going to know. Yes. So if you do brave that harsh reality and come over and watch a movie and have to go to the bathroom and walk into the half bathroom where we all watch you walk in to the half bathroom, I highly recommend turning on the light, the fan, and the faucet. Make as much noise in there as you can. 
So when you have this situation, there is a part of you as an American that complains about what in the world, why and how come, what builder in their right mind would just throw the, why didn't they put the door over here, right? And all the while forgetting, wait, this is a first world problem where Americans with more than enough stuff, yes? Two and one half bathrooms. Two and a half. And one of the halves is in a bad place. Watch this. Woe is me. <laughs> My life is so hard, you guys. I don't even know how we make it. Do you guys see how ridiculous this is? See, the point is this. We all, oh, I had to make this work, so here we go. We all have more than what we need. So before you start saying, well, Pastor Darren, I have a, I have a solution to your awkward situation. Why don't you just sell your half bath? Use the proceeds to help somebody in need. You don't just sell a half bath, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's a reason why I went after our half bath and I didn't go after our wardrobe. There's a reason I mentioned the half bath and not my shoes. There's a reason I mentioned my half bath and not my shirts or electronic devices or my TV. Do you see what I mean? See, on the one hand, it'd be super easy to go, hey, ladies and gentlemen, as Americans living in modern America, we're blessed beyond what we deserve. Even the toughest times are better than most of the times with other people around the world. And even though at times it might feel like we don't have enough and we don't have a lot, we all probably have more than what we need. And it would be too easy to then go, use this verse and go, so let's do what they did. But the problem is if we just look at it on a practical level and do what they did, we might miss the point in the whole deal. See, beyond just getting rid of possessions is a heart that embraces sacrificial living and that's what God is after like it's more important that we all walk out with the willingness to say here I am Lord a living sacrifice every single one of my moments in every single one of my days I'm going to live it surrender to you have you and take whatever you want because I'm yours that's the point the point isn't for us to go out with a list and go well I got six of those and I only need four we'll get rid of two that's not, the point isn't about lists. The point is about our heart. And this is what the book of Acts is supposed to stir within us. A heart that is willing to say, here I am, Lord. Here's what the word surrender means. The word surrender, according to the dictionary, means this, or sacrifice. It means the surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered to have a higher value or a more pressing claim. Let me repeat that. The surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered <coughs> to have a higher value or a more pressing claim. Based on the cough that I just did, you might not want to come up and hug me right after service. And there's good, it's good that nobody's sitting in the front row. However, <coughs> we're going to play like a champion today. <laughs> the life that God is calling us to is a life of surrender. How do we do church? We're supposed to do it sacrificially. When we come together, 
we come together ready and willing to surrender anything and everything, especially those things that we prize as highly valued. We realize there's a higher one than us who has a better claim on those things. And we come with a willingness to give them to God, right? This is what he wants. I told you that we're going to go to Romans chapter 12. You can turn there now because I think this is an amazing companion passage for what we're talking about. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. It's an amazing passage. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, we read these words. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. First of all, again, just note this. Do you guys like Bible study? Just raise your hand. Okay. If you're going to do good Bible study, I think one of the most important things to do is to pay attention to the words that you're reading. And whenever you come across the word, therefore, in the scriptures, it's, it's really important to think for a minute as to why it's there. So here's an easy way to remember why, why is the therefore there for? What is the therefore there for? I told you it was easy to remember, and then I couldn't remember how to say it. <laughs> I'm a professional. What is the therefore there for? Well, it's important for us to understand in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, therefore I urge you, what he's referring to is Romans chapters 1 through 11. And just so you know, here's a quick overview. Romans chapters 1 through 11 is the gospel. It is the reality of all that God has done for sinful humanity to make a way that by faith they could believe in the son that he sent called Jesus who lived and died and rose miraculously to make a way for us, that is those who believe, to be saved. That's what he's talking about. It's the gospel. And he takes, Paul takes, the apostle Paul takes Romans chapters 1 through 11 and explains it in great detail. So when, when we come to Romans chapter 12 and he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What he's saying is this, in light of everything that I have said, and what he has said is the gospel, in light of God's love for you, the most sensible thing for you to do, the thing that makes the most sense is to offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Look at what he says. He goes, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. One of the first things that we gotta realize is if we're gonna be sacrificial in our church doing, both here and everywhere, it means that we should be doing church as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. As we surrender all of our moments to the Lord, we let everyone know that he is valued higher than everything else in our lives, and he has the most pressing claim, therefore, on our lives. This is what being a living sacrifice means. The picture is this. You step up and you say, here I am, Lord. Take, use, and have all that you want for all that you want to do. Because your claim on my life is greater than my own. Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul said it in a way that I wouldn't have said it. Like, I didn't write, write, write the Bible. Are you aware of this? First service, I said that, and I thought, more people should have said amen. <laughs> but they didn't. But I didn't write the Bible. 
But if I did, I would have put Romans chapter 12, verse 2 as 1 and verse 1 as 2. Here's why. I tend to think mentally about things, right? I tend to move when I understand something, yes? It's kind of the way it works with everybody, right? Okay, if once I understand how this works, then we'll work it out. But notice that Paul didn't say that. He said, I want you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. All that you have for all that God wants to do in all of his purposes and plans. Right? I'm a, I'm a, I want you to just, just surrender yourself wholesale to God Almighty for whatever it is that he wants to do. Now, there's a part of us that are like, yes, because we're in church. But did you know there's a lot of people who don't go to church who look at that kind of mentality and go, that's just crazy. That's just silly. Why would you do that? Why? That just makes no sense. Do you see what I mean? Notice that Paul is saying, I want you to, by faith, even before you can comprehend it, I want you to offer yourself to the Lord. By faith, do this. And that part of you that's like, yeah, but how does that work? And how does it, <coughs> I don't understand it. Don't worry about it. It's just a weird, irritating little cough. We'll be fine. How does all of that work, right? All of these things? Got to understand, look at what he says in verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, look, act first and do it by faith, and God will then help you mind your mind. He'll begin to transform it. I don't know about you, but I've spent a whole lot of my 30 years as a Christian sitting back, waiting to move until I understood things better. And so I sit back and I think, well, one day when I get the equation, when I understand the, the purpose, and when I figure out the plan, then I'll do it. All the while, life passes me by. Now, on those rare occasions where it felt like God gave you no choice and you got to act and you got to do it, and somebody says, why are you doing that? And you're like, I don't know. I don't understand. All I know is that God told me to do it. And so then you do it. On those occasions, after the fact, you see how God then begins to work within your mind through the experience to transform and change what's going on. You see, it's not just reading, although I think reading is great. It's reading and acting by faith. And allowing that process to affect the way you think. And this is what the early church was doing. God had changed. The Spirit of God dwelling within their hearts had changed the way they thought to where they were, they were doing church sacrificially, regardless of whether it made sense or not. When it says, did you guys catch this? When it says that they sold their possessions and belongings and they used the proceeds to help anybody that had need, in the cultural climate of their day they had to live by faith in doing that because if they sold something there was no guarantee at a point later in time they'd be able to buy it back because culture was closing off to them on a very quick in a very quick pace they had to do it by faith and yet god made it make sense if we're gonna do church we have to do so as living sacrifices that, that whole reality should make us happy. You know what I mean? In a dramatic life, I don't know about you, but I do at times. In a dramatic life, we think about what would I do if I had to make a decision to give my life for Jesus, right? What would I, what would I do if I was put in a position where I had to, in order to maintain my commitment to Christ, 
it would cost me my very physical life. And I run these dramatic scenarios. And in the dramatic scenarios, in the comfort of my own office at the church where it's super comfortable and nobody bothers me, I always end up standing up. I have a mirror in my office. <clears throat> Surprises no one. But I always stand up and I look in the mirror and I say, yeah, Lord, I would die for you. Which is usually followed by that still small voice of God saying, yeah, but would you live for me? Yeah, Lord, I would die for you whenever that moment, if ever that moment comes my way, I would die for you. And then the still small voice of God says, yeah, but will you live for me in the next? That's what living sacrifices means. That's what God wants for us. When we come to church, when we do church, when we are the church, he wants us to make that decision moment by moment to be willing to live for the reality of what he wants. In other words, we live to surrender our lives for his purposes and his plans. Paul goes on in the book of Romans. I'll make it quick. He goes on in verses three through eight and reminds us that we should be doing church even as not just living sacrifices, but as humble sacrifices. Verse three, Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we all have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in the proportion of our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts with mercy, with cheerfulness. In one sense, there's this sense that what, what we should do is also not just be living sacrifices, but also humble sacrifices. I don't know if you guys recognize this. I know I do. But the person who stands on the platform with a microphone is not more important than everybody else who sits in the chairs down there. Do you guys, do you guys see? Uh, next week, we're going to do a workshop on the proper, <laughs> it's going to be on a Wednesday night. You can sign up, and I'm going to go ahead and teach a workshop on the proper usages and timings of the word amen. <laughs> Throughout the history of the modern church, the person with the microphone and the platform has been overemphasized. What's it's created is prideful people. I'm going to speak for the people who do what I do. Many of us have bought our own hype and become way too prideful. And we've forgotten that God wants us to not just be living sacrifices. Look at me, God. I'm here to do your will. But he also wants us to be humble sacrifices. For some of us, that means sit down and chill out. For others, that means stand up and get moving. Because he goes on to describe, I don't know if you caught it, but read it again later. He goes on to describe the reality of the body of Christ. That there are many members, but we're all one in one another. In other words, we're all mysteriously and miraculously and uniquely connected. And in that connection, the, the reality is this. 
many of us do different things and are good at certain things while others are good at different things. And what Paul is in indicating is that's on purpose. God has done that so that he can miraculously bring the many together as one. And as they do what he's gifted them to do, the many get taken care of better than if they were just on their own. You see, we're supposed to be a humble sacrifice and not think more highly of ourselves than we should, but at the same time recognize there's something we're meant to be bringing to the table. It's something unique that you do and a unique thing that God has gifted in you and the way you do it. Does that make sense? Right? There's something that we got to do for that. And we got to be humble enough to recognize it's not about that position or that position or that position or that position. It's just about being who we are as living sacrifices before God. If we stand up and we say, here I am, God, use all of me, every part of me for your purposes and plans. I am yours. Then guess what? We should be humble enough to accept the gifting or the talent or the ability that he gives us and allow it to work through us so that it becomes a blessing to the rest of the body. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but what about me? I don't know if you guys sound like that, but I do a lot. What about me? Right? We have to recognize that's what the body is for. And circled around when everybody is acting as we're supposed to be acting. When the ear is being an ear. <laughs> and not getting mad because he's not an eye. <laughs> Are you with me? We're going to Corinthians now. We're getting biblical on this thing. Right? When the eye is being an eye and not getting all upset and bent out of shape because he's not a mouth. And when the mouth is being a mouth and it's not getting all upset because she's not a hand. And I don't know why I equated a mouth with a woman, but I just did. <laughs> and if you caught it, my email is Darren Famulercano hmm, at gmail.com. Bring it on. But see, this is the point that Paul's making, not only here, but also in Corinthians. We should be humble enough to just recognize, hey, I'm a part of the body. And it doesn't matter what part I am, I'm just happy to be a part of the body. And no matter what part I am, I'm going to do that part the best that I can for the glory of God, knowing that God's going to use the whole, no matter how much attention it gets or it doesn't get, he's going to use the whole thing working together to care not only for his community, but the world and his plans and purposes at large. It's amazing. Let's be humble enough to say, this is who I am, and this is what God can do. And on the other hand, you remember when I said, well, some of you got to hear this and get up and get going. That's still related to humility. You shouldn't think that you're so important that you get to, to decide if you're good at something or not good at something. If you're sitting there and thinking, well, I'm not really good at something, you know what? Humble yourself a little bit to the reality of God's word who says, no, you are who I say you are, and you can do what I say you can do. Now get up and be about it. Play like a champion today. That's two. But that's, what, that's how that works, isn't it? In the world, it's called teamwork, right? And if you don't play your position on the team properly, you get cut or you get fired or you get traded for somebody else. That's not the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, it's called Christian community. And it's called unity. And it's called harmony. And it's called a miraculous move of God. And if you don't do it good enough, it's not that God's going to give up on you and quit. He's going to challenge you even more to say, okay, let's keep working at it. 
That's how it works, ladies and gentlemen. Why would we not want to be a part of that? Why would we not want to be humble enough to say, you know, it doesn't matter if I ear, nears, ear, no, whatever. It doesn't matter. I just want to be a part of the body. If I'm the pinky in the body of Christ, that's fine. Because everybody will pay attention to me when the body of Christ drinks a cup of tea. That didn't work. <laughs> moving on, verses 9 through 17. That would have been a proper place when I said moving on. That would have been a proper place for somebody to say amen. <laughs> we should be doing church not just as living sacrifices and humble sacrifices. This one's really good. Are you guys ready? This one might take a little time, so just get comfortable. We should be doing church as loving sacrifices. Oh, y'all charismatic now. Don't even clap for a song, but you can amen the idea of love. I'll take it all day, every day. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Loving sacrifices, let love be genuine. Loving sacrifices, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Loving sacrifices, love one another with brotherly affection. Loving sacrifices, outdo one another in showing honor. Loving sacrifices, do not, are not slothful in zeal, but they're fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Loving sacrifices rejoice in hope. Loving sacrifices are patient in tribulation. Loving sacrifices are constant in prayer. Loving sacrifices contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Loving sacrifices, listen, here's where it gets good. Loving sacrifices bless those who persecute them and bless and do not curse them. Loving sacrifices, I feel like that one needs to be repeated. I don't know about you, but the thing that fires me up more than anything is when somebody says something about me that I don't think is true. I liken it to being cursed. And you know what my default action is in that moment? If you curse me once, I'm going to go ahead and curse you twice. which is not making anyone anywhere afraid. <laughs> but it just makes me frustrated and look foolish. That's the point, right? Loving sacrifices, those, we do church as, sac if we do it sacrificially and even allow ourselves to become the very reality of loving sacrifices, we will bless those who curse us. We will 
rejoice with those who rejoice. Loving sacrifices will weep with those who weep. Loving sacrifices will live in harmony with one another. Loving sacrifices will not be haughty, but will associate with the lowly. Loving sacrifices will never be wise in our own eyes. Loving sacrifices will pay nobody, will repay nobody evil for evil, but loving sacrifices will always do what is honorable in the sight of all. In the midst of a very divided and divisive culture, it doesn't take any imagination to see that in some places, the church has lost its calling. to be those who sacrificially love just like Jesus loved us. It may be one of the most important reminders of the morning is recognizing, yeah, it will be a living sacrifice. That's great. Sign me up. Yeah, it will be a humble sacrifice. I'm really proud of it. But the idea of embracing the kind of loving sacrifice that's described in Romans chapter 12, this is Christianity 101. Because when you look at that list of what loving sacrifices are willing to do and what loving sacrifices refuse to do, if you look at that list and you look at the Lord, you'll see that not only... Are we expected to do it? But he's exemplified it for us. It just means being like Jesus. Amen. Finally, we should be doing church as peaceful sacrifices as well. In verse 19 or verse 18 of Romans chapter 12, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will, reap, you will heap burning coals on his head. Amen. We should explain the amen. <laughs> I remember being 19 years old at a church and hearing feed your enemy, clothe your enemy, give your enemy something to drink, and by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head, and there's a part of me that's like, yeah! Because that can't be comfortable. Because logically, he's my enemy. He or she has done something to me that has made me uncomfortable. And surely there's nothing wrong with a little discomfort because of your discomfort. Have something to drink. Have something to eat. And may your scalp burn with the vengeance. This is the way I understood it. Now, here's the deal. When I was 19, didn't know a thing about the Bible. Nothing. So to me, I'm like, okay, Lord, I got it. If there was one verse in the Bible that I was willing to practice, it was that one. Because I had a lot of enemies. I made a list. And burning coals were always at hand. Then I come to realize, oh, wait a minute. The phrase that Paul uses, 
is a common phrase to describe that your willingness to be peaceful with somebody who has meant you harm will actually be used by God to turn out and turn into humility and regret on the harm doer's part. It means that that person will be overwhelmed by a humble regret because of your kindness. And after 30 some years, I've seen it work over and over and over and over. We should do church as peaceful sacrifices as well. Those who seek to be at peace as so far as it depends on us with everyone. Why don't you stand with me for just a moment? As Emma comes back, I want to draw our attention to the reality that I do believe that this is a very important way that we should be doing church. I do believe that we should be doing church sacrificially in all of these ways, living it out, loving it out, being humble with it, uh, being peaceful among every. I do believe that we should do this, but in case we don't get it, I don't think it's just supposed to become a to-do list. I don't think you're supposed to walk out and go, okay, he said this, 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 and this. I'll work on this one this week. We'll get to the next one next week and the other one the week after. Maybe next year we'll get to the fourth thing. I don't think that's the way God intends it. I think God intends to allow these things to make us realize, wait a minute, on my own, I'm in trouble. Because on my own, I don't want to surrender myself to God. On my own, man, I don't, I, I don't like humility. On my own, Man, I like vengeance more than I like love. On my own, right? On my own, listen, if you weren't nice to me, I'm not nice to you. You made your bed, now you go live in it, sleep in it, whatever. And yet the reality is we see these things. It should make us, that's what it should make us do. It should make us realize, man, we're in trouble on our own. And make, make us look to something or someone beyond ourselves so that we get it. And that someone beyond ourselves is Jesus. Because the only talk of sacrifice that is worth actually living out is the talk of sacrifice that reminds us that we can do this with each other and for one another because of what he has already done for us. We're going to sing one last song together. And as we do, some folks are going to hand out communion elements. Little containers of juice little pieces of unleavened bread used by the church for thousands of years to symbolically remember what Jesus has done for us, that he is the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life, he shed his blood, and he endured the cross that we could be here in this moment, not just remembering what he has done, but repeating it in the midst of church, culture, and our world. I recognize as the folks come up during this next song and hold out or hand out the elements, just take them and hold on to them. At the end of the song, Larry will come back up and we'll take communion together. But while you're holding them, I recognize a couple of things. Number one, they're not very heavy. Nobody's arms are going to get tired from holding 
these little elements. But just as much as they're not very heavy, I would beg you, allow them to have their weight in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. Allow them to be used by God to, press up, to impress upon you the desire, not just to do church, but to do life more sacrificially, just like Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information about Rogue Valley Christian Church, please visit our website at www.rvchristian.com.